Welcome to the Recover Me podcast with Warren Willey, doctor of osteopathic medicine, a best-selling author, and leading expert on holistic, healthy living. Warren is your guide to living a naturally healthier, happier life. So much of Western medicine, popular diets, and fitness fads put a bandage over health problems, addressing symptoms and not causes, offering short-term results at the expense of long-term health. That's why Warren is a man on a mission, to question the status quo and uncover holistic health solutions you can use in your life, starting right now. Now to get us started today, here's Warren. Well, welcome back to a Recover Me webinar. Today, we have a special guest, Randy Vaudry. He's a nurse practitioner. NPC is what they call themselves, but Randy is an NPE, which stands for Nurse Practitioner Extraordinaire. Remember on Recover Me, we are all about awesomizing your life. Is that a word, Randy? Awesomizing? I like that. I like it. I'm going with it. I'm going with it. By meeting you where you're at. And that's what Recover Me does. We can't change your stressors. We can only help your body deal with them better. Today, we're going to be talking with Randy about neurocognitive disorders. It's going to be kind of an introduction to neurocognitive disorders because we're going to go a whole series on these. It's absolutely amazing to me in all the years I've been in medicine. Randy and I were just talking this before we started recording how we spend so much time on every other body part. Let's use a woman for an example. Over a woman's lifetime, she does 40 breast exams and 40 pap smears, and how many evaluations on her brain, Randy? <laughs> Virtually none. none. What, where does that, what, what, what does that say about medicine? What are we focusing on here? I know. Anyway. It, yeah, it's so true that there's so many, think of cholesterol checks, right? And men do prostate checks. And these are just yep. things that we're dialed into doing in the natural course of medicine, but there's been very little attention that people have paid to their brains. Oh, exactly. It's terrible. I remember in medical school, um, brains were really kind of left to neurologists. We had uh, neurosciences in our first year, uh, but really didn't do much in clinical brain work. I remember the best analogy I have from my medical school a long time ago was like the teeth, Randy. Here's, here's the way we are taught teeth in medicine. Students, these are your teeth. If a patient comes in with an issue with those, send them to the dentist. Mm-hmm. And we went to the next topic. And brains were the same way. We just didn't spend any time on brain health. Yeah, I don't think I remember ever in nurse practitioner school, same thing. Never once studied very much about the brain. I, I do remember in anatomy that we'd have to memorize certain parts of the brain. And I remember learning about strokes, that if you have a stroke in a certain section of the brain, this is the pathology that you're going to see on your clinical exam. But other than that, there was no effort made to try to figure out how to keep the brain healthy. Oh, yeah. And then when it did get damaged, be it a traumatic brain injury, a stroke, you're screwed. I mean, it's always been the prevalent thought that once you damage neurological tissue, it's over. It never recovers. And boy, do we know how false that is now. Yeah, exactly. The, it feels like there's an explosion of research, and a lot of it's coming out of the functional medicine world, but there's just this massive explosion that we that, that the brain is plastic, and we can yeah. do a lot of things to either grow some of the brain that we have, may have lost, or at least protect it from having substantial loss because of our lifestyle and the environment that we live in. Oh, and, and that's so true. We know that not only by mental tests, cognitive tests, but also by imaging tests, mm-hmm. neural quant, uh, 
M fancy functional MRIs. I mean, we're actually seeing people's brains when you remove the toxins from the environment or the alcohol or the tobacco use or whatever and replace it with the proper nutrients, people's brains grow. Yeah, this is where I, I became very interested in this in the first place because a local pharmacist brought me a study and he said, hey, I think that you would find this study interesting because this study is kind of how you practice medicine. And so as is typical in a busy day, I put the study on my desk and I ignored it for about six months, didn't pay any attention to it. And then uh, I always take my family skiing over Christmas break. And so I loaded all the junk off my desk into a big cardboard box and hauled it up to the ski resort and late at night after you know you're skiing all day you're exhausted so my kids would fall asleep right after dinner and go to bed and my wife would get out a book and read I just started pulling up these studies from off my desk and would would read and in this particular study it was the first study that I read that looked at individuals who had had some dementia and prior to starting their dementia treatment had an MRI of their brain and they focused on a little teeny segment of their brain called the hippocampus because we know the hippocampus is most, um, it's the region of the brain that focuses on capturing memory. And this was the first study that I had ever read that showed that individuals before a cognitive um, protocol, their hippocampus started one size and then grew back or got enlarged. And, and that I had never seen that before. And so I thought, oh my gosh, there is something to this. And if this is similar to how I practice medicine, I've got to pay close attention. Oh yeah, isn't that fascinating? Again, back to what we talked about earlier. We are not taught that. Brains are set. You are born with the same number of brain cells uh, and you never get more. And all you do is destroy them through your whole life. Yeah, and if you lose them, you're out of luck. You're out of luck. You know that that's not true that if you lose some brain cells, there's an opportunity to get some of those back through uh, lifestyle interventions and good practice of medicine. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's so true. So to, speaking of the practice of medicine, you're more of a integrative practitioner. Could you define that for our fine audience? Define what you see as conventional medicine versus integrative medicine. Yeah, perfect. Thank you. So in traditional nurse practitioner school, I can't speak about med school, so you could probably talk about that better than I could. But in conventional medicine, um, healthcare providers like uh, nurses or doctors or therapists treat symptoms um, and diseases by using drugs and surgery and radiation, uh, lab work, right? So there's very much a focus on the pharmaceuticals and a focus on getting the right diagnosis so you can apply the right pharmaceutical. In an integrative medicine, on the other hand, it's kind of a healing-oriented style of medicine that focuses more on the whole person, and it emphasizes um, therapeutic relationships between the practitioner and the individual and using any therapy modality that we think could be of value. So a good example of that is sleep. Um, oftentimes when someone comes into a conventional medicine doctor and says, man, I'm not sleeping very well, uh, or a nurse practitioner, we might say, well, then you probably need some Ambien, right? Because we're focused on um, the symptom and we're focused on the medicine. 
But the truth is, what we ought to sit down and say is, okay, well, have you not been sleeping well just in the last week or in the last month? And what's happening in your life? And how much caffeine do you drink during the day? And are you getting some exercise? And how often are you looking at your computer screen? And you read Facebook all night long. And we don't. We need to get better at going through all of that because oftentimes we can find the reason people are not sleeping well instead of ignoring all of the reasons and jumping right into giving them a sedative. Oh, it's so true. And we are so good. You're right. We are trained for symptom equal drug equals bandage symptom equals they'll be back later with something else (laughs) or the same problem because now your Ambien doesn't work anymore. And we all know that occurs all the time. Yeah. Or the side effect, right? Because that's the other thing that we deal with. I was reading a study the other day that, that like 25% of all hospitalizations are the result of an adverse effect from a medication, right? So people show up in the ER because they have a rash because they just started an antibiotic or they have belly pain because they've been taking anti-inflammatories for two years. And my goodness, if a quarter of all of our hospitalizations are driven by side effects, I started thinking, I wonder what primary care uh, visits are. You know, what percentage of those are driven by side effects? Oh, so true. And that goes for over-the-counter medications too. Right. People forget that there's uh, every medicine you buy over the counter is a medicine. It's a drug. Just because your doctor didn't write you a prescription or your nurse practitioner didn't write a prescription for it, it's still a drug. Okay, I better not go down that path because we could really go off on that. <laughs> right. Let's right. dive right into the neurocognitive stuff. If you would define neurocognitive disorders for us. So neurocognitive disorders would be any illness or any symptom that emanates from the brain or that emanates from the functioning of the brain. So these are common things that we see every day in family practice that would include depression or anxiety, insomnia, people who have chronic headaches or migraines, uh, seizures can be a part of this, brain fog is a symptom I'm hearing all the time. And it's more common in women, I think, because women come to the doctor's office. Right? right, guys are too proud, they don't come, but women come all the time and say, Man, I'm experiencing brain fog, or it can include things like multiple sclerosis and dementia and Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's disease and tics and dystonias and stiffness and so forth. All of these things can emanate from the brain, and so that's usually what I refer to when I talk about neurocognitive disorders. Very good, you, you bring up a good point there. I think so, because of our what well, we already explained, how little we learn about and understand the brain, uh, we treat symptoms, but think about all the treatments out there. For example, uh, muscle relaxants. I hear people all the time, I need a muscle relaxant for my back. Well, muscle relaxants don't work at your back. They work at your brain. Right. How many medications does that occur? You know, diabetic neuropathy, people can't feel their feet. We give them drugs so they feel their feet again? No. So it changes the way the brain sees the feet. We're, we're treating yeah, the and most people don't most people don't think about peripheral neuropathy as a brain disorder right I think think of it as a foot disorder exactly exactly and that's that is such an error and issue uh, in our our western practice so let's say someone comes in with brain fog um, tell us how you, what would be your approach to someone with brain fog Randy well if I went back to my example with insomnia um, brain fog I guess the the lucky part of medicine is there's not a drug for brain fog. So when someone comes in for insomnia, we can just give Ambien and it's a 10 minute visit in and out. We don't think twice about it. Right. But you have to do a little bit more digging when someone comes in for brain fog. 
And so I usually will spend 15 minutes trying to understand what someone means by I have brain fog. Does that mean that they have attention deficit disorder or they have, um, they feel hyperactive. They have a hyperactive component. Does it mean that they wake up in the morning and they feel like they need their cup of coffee, but they need that all day long that they never really kind of perk up and get mental clarity. Does brain fog mean depression or anxiety? Do they feel blue or dark or dismotivated? Um, are they tired and exhausted all the time? So I think that when people come in, we have to get better at teasing out the symptoms and finding out what exactly are you experiencing and when are you experiencing it? And then I often will ask people, you know, that the old adage, listen to a mother when she's talking about her kids because they oftentimes know what's going on. The same thing happens with brain fog is I'll often say, well, what do you think is causing this? What, what do you think is the trigger for your symptom? And then that helps us walk down the pathway to try to figure out how to solve it. That's a difficult thing for people to verbalize, I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> it always is. And, you know, sometimes with back pain, there's patterns. So if someone gets back pain, they, they can tell you the spot where they get back pain and they can tell where it's radiating down the back of their leg. Brain fog is not that simple because brain fog, uh, it doesn't seem like there's any specific pattern. People have it and every single person that comes in, it's, it, you kind of walk down a new trigger pathway for those individuals. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that, that's a good point too. We're, in Western medicine, we're so algorithm driven. So if this, then this, then this, it must equal this. And back pain is another great example. If you have numbness down this area of your leg, then we know what level that back pain is coming from. The brain, whoo, <laughs> yeah, too many wires crossing there. Yeah, it is so hard. And, and, you know, I've started really focusing on what medicines are people taking because there's a host of medicines that can contribute to brain fog. And um, what a tragedy it would be to just add another medicine or to, to miss that something that an individual's doing under the context that they're trying to feel better could actually be contributing to their brain fog. And I see that happening more and more. It's uh, in, in the Recover Me method of medicine, we spend time with our patients like you do. We take, we listen. And listening is not just hearing. Listening is trying to understand because our goal, of course, as we've discussed many times, is to treat the cause, not just cover the condition. Mm -hmm. So you have someone with brain fog, you're breaking it down. Tell me, Tell me what part of the history, well, let me back up before we go to that. What are the things going through your, your brain when they're talking about their brain? What are you thinking? Are you thinking, is there an environmental toxin? Is there a medication, like you mentioned, causing this? Uh, did they get whacked in the head? Uh, does their dad sell uh, rat poison? I mean, th tell me the, the things you get out of them to help determine what's causing this brain fog. Oh my goodness, this is a very loaded question. We could probably spend an hour and a half on this, this one individual thing, but I oftentimes will go through kind of this, you talked about algorithms or kind of a systematic way of thinking through a problem. And, um, you know, oftentimes this is the pattern that I go through. The first thing I try to think of is there's some sort of inflammatory response. And as you know, in medicine, if there's a disease, there's inflammation somewhere. And a good practitioner has to try to sort out 
Could there be an inflammatory response going on and what's causing that? And in brain fog, some of the common areas would be autoimmune disease and dental issues. So I took care of a person that has dementia and <laughs> yeah, take care of those teeth because you're going to need them and they're going to affect your brains. Yes. Um, I, I had a guy about six months ago whose wife brought him in. He had a little bit of uh, sundowning and dementia and she was trying to keep him out of an assisted living center. And when I drew his lab work, this individual had a CRP of 16. And I think that's probably the highest that I've seen in an elderly individual. The person was only taking one medicine. So really didn't have traditional disease in the context that we always see in medicine, but was just having more and more confusion. And his wife was thinking, man, my husband's getting Alzheimer's disease. I've got to fix this. And if I can clarify for our audience, anything greater than one raises our eyebrows with yeah, CRP. Exactly. So 15, 16 times normal. And I, I went through a trillion questions trying to figure out where's this inflammatory response coming from? And we could not figure it out. And then I said at the very end of the conversation, well, maybe it's his teeth. And she says, well, could that cause an inflammatory response? And I'm like, oh, goodness, right? So here's your upper palate and here's your brain. And you got this infection or inflammatory response right here. It just goes straight through uh, the base of the skull right into the brain. So she took him to the doctor and he had two or three abscessed teeth that the doctor had actually recommended root canals years before, but because of his advanced age, and I think probably because of finances, they opted not to do it. But this has probably cost this individual his, his cognitive clarity now for a long time. I've stayed in touch with that family, and, and just this last week, his CRP was back up to a six. So we went from a 16, and he came all the way down close to that value of one that you talked about, and then he went right back up, and, and uh, the wife says, you know, we're still not done finishing the dental work for this individual. But we know that that was probably the cause because we watched a value that was 16 times normal limit come all the way down almost within the optimal parameters after they did the root canals. Wow. So how's he, uh, do you have you had follow-up since then, since the root canals? That was just this last weekend that uh -huh. they've been following CRPs now for the last month. So they've done one each month and she has sent these to me for the last six months. And so he still has some dental work done, but that goes back to our earlier discussion when you're, when you're thinking what, what thinking process do you go through when you're talking about neurocognitive disorders? I always got to sort through inflammatory responses. Another really common one are um, atrophic problems. And atrophic is a word in medicine that means kind of a nourishing substance. And so when we talk about nourishing substances for the brain, we oftentimes think of hormones. And I mean, Dr. Will, you're the hormone guru. You know this as well as anybody that if someone's thyroid is bad or their estrogen and testosterone and progesterone and DHEA and cortisol get out of balance, it really dramatically affects the functioning of the brain. I've listened to some neurologists talk about pregnenolone levels, mm -hmm. and that's not something that I had been accustomed to prior to focusing on neurocognitive disorders, but pregnenolone is a nourishing substance. And, and in addition to hormones, then you can get into things like vitamins and minerals. So vitamin B12 and B9, thiamine, niacin, vitamin D, vitamin E, all of these are very nourishing for the brain. And when we don't have those, brain fog results. Mm -hmm.
Mm -hmm. Is uh, um, besides in inflammation, um, tell us how infections, low-grade infections. I know with the the root canals, he probably had abscesses, which is infectious, which causes inflammation. So we can have infection with inflammation, but you can have inflammation without infection. How about yes. things like in the environment like uh, heavy metal toxicity or especially in our area, organophosphates uh, with all the, the agriculture around here? How, how do you weed those out? Great point. So it's just part of the questionnaire process or that it's kind of a dance with your patient that oftentimes when you're visiting with them, you'll, your goal is to try to figure out what testing should be done because uh, as you know, medicine can be pretty pricey and it can be expensive with lots of tests that we would run. So you bring up heavy metals and organophosphates or BPAs and styrene and benzenes and, and all of the organic stuff. You know, makeup. My wife and I have talked a lot about how can we help her find an organic makeup because she wants to feel good and she wants to wear makeup during the day. She wants to wear the eyelashes that everyone wears. But you know, what's in that glue? What's in that yeah. glue that we glue that eyelash right onto the, to the natural lash and then that, that chemical could get, could get transmitted through the brain. And I think those are things that we never think of. But in our environment, we wake up in the morning and we take a shower with a shampoo that's got a special dye in it for women who color their hair. And then women will apply makeup and then they cook their eggs on a Teflon pan. And they spray Pam into that pan, right? So you got a spray that's aerosolized uh, um, an, an oil. And then, and if you're lucky, it's olive oil. Half the time, right. it's not olive oil, right? It's a seed oil. Mm -hmm. And I could go on and on and on. And our environments are constantly, you know, we finish the day by sleeping on a bed that's got flame retardant on it. And so all day long, we're just bombarded with chemicals. And it, there's nothing that says any one of these are, are going to be the 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 ticket or the lottery ticket that buys this cognitive dysfunction but when you look at our environment in its total it really is pretty impressive how much we're exposed to that as you mentioned can turn around and cause a neurocognitive brain fog oh man and that goes back to again the recover me philosophy is we can't always protect you from all these environmental factors but we optimize your body your kidneys your liver your body's ability to detox itself in your environment. But when someone comes to Randy or me with cognitive disorders already, it's, we have to step back and say, okay, there's probably one or two that are really significant in this. And that brings us to all the different type of neurocognitive disorders, because obviously, you know, we've, we've heard that uh, high aluminum levels causes Alzheimer's or you may have mercury that causes Parkinson's disease. It, would you go through us again, just in our introduction of neurocognitive disorders, the different types of neurocognitive disorders, Randy? You bet. I think I've got probably about 10 that I, that become a part of my focus. So we talked about inflammatory disorders and we've talked about atrophic disorders or brain nourishing uh, challenges. Uh, glycotoxic disorders or insulin resistance and diabetes are neurotoxic problems to the brain. And that's super important because we've always talked to diabetics and people who are in insulin resistance under the context that, you know, we got to control your blood sugar so we protect your kidneys or so that we protect your feet from neuropathy. 
But the truth is the brain just cannot handle the loads of sugar and artificial sugars. And I don't want to go down that road because I know it's very politically charged, but there's an estimation that uh, diabetes accounts for probably 50% of all neurocognitive disorders and even insulin resistance. Isn't that amazing? Because even Medicare doesn't pay for any of the brain to be evaluated. They tell us, they give us these algorithms. If we want to be paid by CMS, Medicare, Medicaid, check the diabetic's feet, make sure they don't have peripheral neuropathy, look for any lesions, have them see an eye doctor to make sure they have no retinal changes, mm-hmm. and then shake their hand. That's it. There's nothing there on the brain. Yeah. It goes back to what how you started our conversation today, that the whole world has definitive testing that they need to do, mammograms and cholesterol testing and pap smears and foot exams and retinal exams. But we have totally forgotten that this brain takes about 25% of our total metabolism every day just to get the wheels turning. Mm -hmm. And when that metabolism starts to break down, it's a problem. It's a problem. And, And from the sugar standpoint, there's not a soul out there that would look for the cheapest gasoline they could possibly find and fill their gas tank every day because then they get irritated that their car's only going to drive 20 miles before it starts choking and sputtering and spittering. But we don't think twice about putting just total crap in our human gas tank. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, insulin resistance and and glycotoxic disorders are a big deal. Diet, dietary issues are another big deal. And this can go big boil down to everything from food allergies to leaky gut syndrome or microbiome. I don't know how much you want to talk about that. But if the dietary disorder is off, nutritional deficiencies are also a problem, mm-hmm. right? And, and sometimes we've gotten in the habit of thinking, well, I'll just take a nutritional supplement, right? If you want to have a fun experience one day, walk down the cereal aisle at the grocery store and look at all the cereals that have been fortified fortified with vitamin B12 or folate or vitamin D or calcium. And it's such a joke because fortified my foot, that's not going to do anything. The, The problem of that food item and the sugar load just totally wipes out any benefit that any fortification can do. But I think that's a marketing effort to try to get us to make purchases. Mm-hmm. Yep. They're darn good and at that. As you mentioned, there's toxic metals and medications. Uh, I, I was listening to two healthcare providers at a continuing ed conference saying that if ibuprofen or Aleve were a new drug trying to get through the FDA today, it might not make it. Because of the extensive side effects that are associated with anti-inflammatories, right? And I personally think anti-inflammatories are a gift. They're a huge blessing for us. And I've used them on many occasions. But if we're having to use them every day and two and three times a day for long periods of time, we're missing something. We've got to figure that out. Right. You talked about chemical sensitivities. We've talked about infections. Um, there's a great neurologist that wrote a paper about inhalation Alzheimer's, the air that we breathe. Some people just can't clear the toxins that are in our air. So there could be 10 people that work in the same office space and two of them get terribly sick. Eight of them have no problem. Why are those two sick? And it has to do with what's in the environment, how well their body's able to clear that. And then naturally there's trauma and vascular issues. So um, I don't know how much you want to talk about each one of those, but there's a lot of things that, that lead to neurocognitive disorders. 
You know, let's just spend a couple uh, minutes, if we may, on trauma, because that's big. Obviously, the the movie, and forgive me, I forget the name, with the football player talked about the NFL head injuries. Uh, yeah. We see concussion clinics popping up everywhere in junior highs and high schools, which I think is great. Trauma to the brain. The best explanation I ever heard about a concussion, Randy, and tell me your thoughts on this, was a concussion to your brain is like a heart attack to your heart. Yeah, that's a great analogy. It's a great example. And we know that if we were to follow that example through, there's ischemic attacks in the heart and there's infarcts in the heart. Ischemia is where a certain part of the heart is starved for oxygen and nutrients for a period of time. And then the mitochondria or the, the battery pack of that cell doesn't work very good. And so the heart doesn't function appropriately. And then there are strokes or, or excuse me, then there's an infarct where some of the tissue dies. And I think that analogy could really play into um, a concussion, that we can have an episode where there's an inflammatory response in the brain, and the brain is starved for nutrition for a period of time, whether it's blood flow or oxygen or, or the right amount of nutrients going to that brain, or there can actually be damage where some of those brain cells dies. The benefit is we have so many brain cells that oftentimes we recover very quickly and we don't think of that as producing a long-term response. But if that injury happens over and over and over and over, what ends up happening is we have this underlying inflammatory response in the brain that changes neurological signaling, mm -hmm. okay? And it's, it's when you go down the pathway where the signaling in your brain is a signal of inflammation and a signal of apoptosis or cell death, then you're going to end up with long-term problems. But through lifestyle interventions or through good health care after a concussion, you can change that signaling to a synapse rejuvenating and a synapse healing signaling process so you don't have long-term problems. Oh, that's so fascinating. Part of the reason I wanted you to bring that up is to emphasize to our listeners that brain health needs to be covered with kids. It's not just the older adults who feel they're not, they forgot where their car keys are and hell, they forgot where they parked their car too. It's kids. We have to think about this. Brain health should be part of the well child check for yeah. family practitioners and pediatricians out there, but we miss it. And we'll spend more time on that later. I want to kind of wound it down here because you and I could go on forever. So we've got to do a few of these for our listeners. I think this just That's what we've good. talked about so far is going to excite people. Um, give me just one or two of your amazing success stories. And I know there's hundreds because I've talked to you about them and I, they just give me chills. Look, at I have goosebumps because it's so amazing because it's so contrary to what we're taught in school, what, what the world knows. I mean, the medical yeah. journal USA Today has not published that this little old lady now recognizes her children after 20 years because of our neurocognitive approach to her. Give me a couple success stories and we'll close it up. You know, I'm going to I've got three, and I can go through these relatively quickly. There's a family that has an autistic child that I go to church with. And when I see them at church, because of my focus in neurocognitive disorders, I've every time I go to church, I kind of corner this family, and I ask a bunch of questions about their boy, just trying to understand, because I'm not their primary care provider. And I think as I asked a lot of questions, the, the family kind of thought, oh, boy, here's Vaudrey, always focusing on neurocognitive disorders. 
I took this young man a little vial of glutathione because you brought up the point that sometimes it's not just what we're exposed to that is the issue. It might be how our body's able to get rid of that mm -hmm. that might actually be the big issue. Mm -hmm. And so I took a liposomal glutathione to this family and I said, I know that you kind of think I'm odd because I'm always asking questions and of could we make this young man better? Because I think the prevailing thought is if you have autism, you have autism. It's like dementia. Yeah. You can't get better. Can't do better. And I said, just do four squirts of this every day, squish it around your mouth and swallow it and and let's see how he does. And honestly, I forgot about this young man. Okay. After the first day of school, now I'm going to go back. This young man has had the same teachers in classes because he has some special need classes to address the social aspects of autism. Um, after the first day of school, the teaching assistant, the TA and the teacher both sent mom a text message and said, oh my gosh, I just can't tell you what a wonderful day we had. Um, so today, this young man was able to open his locker, uh, do a new combo without any problem. I told him to get into groups and we're going to do some group learning. And this kid went and asked another young man if he wanted to be his partner for the group learning, which has never happened in the past because there's a lot of social problems. Um, there was very little need to redirect over and over and over and over. And when the mom received this text, the mom took a screenshot and texted it to me and said, uh, maybe we should talk a little bit more about what this glutathione does. I and I chuckled it. because I thought that is such a simple intervention that everyone could do that would make a massive difference. So there's one example. Another one is, um, as you know, I do mental health one day a week. And I have really integrated this protocol. When someone comes to my mental health office, I am not the kind of provider that's going to say, oh, you've got depression. Well, here, start with Prozac right now. That's going to be our intervention, and I'll see you in a month. Is I'll spend time asking all of these questions that you and I have kind of prefaced today and come up with a protocol or a plan for that individual to address the reason they feel depressed, right? Mm -hmm. I got a call from a therapist that said, could you see so-and-so? They're having suicidal thinking. And I feel like they really need to get in. So this was about a 55-year-old woman who had just struggled terribly with depression her entire life. And when she came to the clinic, she says, man, I don't know what it is. I stopped going to work. I, I just don't have the energy. And I'm starting to think about death and dying all the time. Mm. And as we sorted through that, my series of questioning went back to tell me the first time that you just felt awful depression. And she says, oh, no question. It was right after my hysterectomy. And I thought, oh, ding, 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 ding. well, probably driven by hormones. And I said, did you get on hormones? And she's like, well, I did start some hormones, but my doctor said we need to take this for the least amount of time possible because they're just not safe. And I, I kind of, I, I joked a little and I said, Are, do you think they're safer than suicide? And she's like, probably. So we started a little bioidentical hormone and that person went back to the counselor and the counselor called and said, oh my gosh, it's like a new person. This lady is just infinitely better because of those hormones. And so there's, there's an example where you help a person clear toxins from the body. There's an example of using trophic support. Um, 
I, I had one example just last week in my office, a gal with rheumatoid arthritis, and she didn't specifically say that she had brain fog per se, a neurocognitive disorder, but she does have terrible neuropathy that we've been working on. And she came back to her follow-up and says, man, I don't know what I've been doing, but my joints are so achy. And Warren, I'm not kidding. We spent 30 minutes question after question after question after question trying to figure out what is different because she didn't have this terrible joint pain a month ago. Huh. And all of a sudden it's come back. So, you know, it would have been so much easier just to say, here's Meloxicam. Take Meloxicam once a day for the next three months and I'll see you in 90 days. A strong anti-inflammatory for those who might yeah. question. Yeah. So anyway, we went through the process of trying to sort through why did the symptoms just start? And the patient came up with this. You know what she said? She said, Randy, I've been trying to eat more and more green vegetables since I came to see you. I've really been working on my diet. And I I go to Wendy's every day and I pick up their green salad. If you have their green salad, it's wonderful. And I said, good, I'm so glad that you're making different choices. And she said, you know what? About a month ago, Wendy started offering a free soda pop with their salad. Oh, Do you boy. think that soda pop could be causing my joint pain? And I just chuckled. I, I smiled and thought, well, what do you think? You didn't have this joint pain a month ago. And, all, and she says, you know what? Now that I think about it, the time almost exactly corresponds. So I just saw this patient on Monday. I don't know if that's the case, but that's the point. The point is trying to figure out what's happening in people's lives. And you correlate that back to when their symptoms start. You can find you can find the causative factors. And as you've mentioned, I've seen over 200 people with dementia over the last year, and I have done extensive labs, and I've written these treatment summaries for them. And I can tell you without question, the response is unbelievable. I have seen things that if, if you'd have told me 10 years ago, I'd be saying, I'd have said, nah, it's not possible but I've seen them because people are changing their lives and we're actually finding the cause of their cognitive decline instead of just giving them a medication to treat the symptom. Oh, I love it, man. We could go on and on forever. And I'm sure our listeners are like more, more, give us more. And we will, we will give them more because I think you've covered and really emphasized again, once again, the whole philosophy of recover me, let's meet you where you're at and let's fix things. Let's not just bandage them. Let's figure it out. What you do in life, no matter what, and contrary to what Western medicine teaches, what crosses your lips, what you're exposed to, your makeup, your stress levels, how much you're sleeping or not, your relationships with others, all these things affect your health and that encourages your disease if you're not aware of it. So let's end it now. Randy, may I ask your permission to have you back very soon? Oh and yes, we have so many things we could cover. I think this will this is a great introduction to neurocognitive disorders, and we'll get more specific for our listening audience. Um, so again, thanks so much for being on, my friend. Really oh, appreciate you. Honor, yeah. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Show. Oh, it's so excited. So until next time, everybody. Remember, it's all about what you do every day that makes a difference in your quality of life. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you for joining Warren on the Recover Me podcast with Warren Willie, your guide to living a naturally healthier, happier life. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, or wherever you find your best podcasts. To connect with Warren and the community, 
learn more about naturally healthy living, and claim a free resource to improve your health right away, visit drwilly.com. You'll find all of Dr. Willie's resources there, including best-selling books like Better Than Steroids, The Z Diet, What Does Your Doctor Look Like Naked?, and his latest book, Obtainable. Enjoy the body and energy you've always wanted beyond diet and exercise. That's drwilly.com, D-R-W-I-L-L-E-Y.com. And until next time with Warren, get fit, be healthy, live life, 